Hi, my name is Paul, and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right. I love watching like three quarters of the room leave when the children leave. I can't help but think like, is parents, you guys will understand what I'm about to say. Our role as parents is to train our children so that they can enter into the world filled with God's spirit to bring about renewal in his kingdom. Like they're not supposed to stay with us forever, right? And there's that, there's that part that like in me, <laughs> I feel you, Dakota. But there's that part of me that's like, but I want them to stay with me forever, you know? But I don't. It's like, no, that's not the mandate that is parenthood. Or even like we're a family, right? But not even like aunties and uncles, that includes you too. But like I have these like, I don't know, like spiritual fantasies, guys, of training our children and watching them go and crying that they're going, but watching them go and be the men and the women that God has called them to be and how much better the planet will be because of that. And so I have no idea why I just shared that with you, but I, it's in my heart right now and I, I want that for them so bad. And I think that's going to take intentionality with us as a, as a church family whether you are a biological parent or not, um, we have a responsibility as the family of God uh, to disciple these children as we disciple each other. Cool with me? Great. All right. Uh, For those of you guys that are outside, so glad that you're here. Those of you guys inside, I'm excited about this morning. We are continuing on in our series that we've called Reset. And it's this, we're hitting the reset button as a church. After COVID-19 and 2020 and all that it was and the turmoil uh, we're really kind of settling in as a church again. And we've asked ourselves these questions of like, who are we going to be moving forward? What kind of disciples are we going to be? What kind of a church are we going to be? And all that comes back to that single question, what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to as individuals? What are we devoted to as a community? And so if you have not listened back to the first message in this series, I encourage you to do that. I I basically just kind of laid, I shouldn't say laid the groundwork, I kind of covered an overview of where we're headed as a church. And we talked about how we're, we're prioritizing our discipleship to Jesus. And here we have two strategies for that, two and a half really, we're going to get into the, the half today, but um, gospel community, belonging to a body of believers. It's, a, it's like, these are the people that I follow Jesus with under the guidance of these pastors uh, pursuing the ways of Jesus in these specific ways. It's not an event, it's a people where the one another's of scripture, the commands for the Christian, right? Love one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, encourage one another daily, all these things. Like it's the environment where that takes place. It's, what, it's part of the reason why God created you. It's a huge element of how he's sanctifying you, which that just means making you more like Jesus. The person that he created you to be, the uniqueness in who you are, that's one of the primary environments where that's gonna take shape. So for those of you guys that are maybe like, and find yourself in a season where you might be like frustrated with where things are at, you're like, man, I, I wanna be doing this and I wanna be in this place. Hear me. 
an environment where you're going to actually grow and develop into the man or the woman that God created you to be that looks a whole lot more like Jesus without that element of deeply being known and loved, without, without the environment where you can practice those one another's and sharpen yourself spiritually. Not that you do the sharpening, the spirit does the sharpening, but it's, you're actually never going to walk in the things that God has for you. So I want to put that in front of you. It's a huge, we're not a church that like has gospel communities as though it's a program, nor we are a church of gospel communities. Huge thing, okay? Herrick already said, sign up. We would love to get you placed into a gospel community. And the second one, Sunday mornings. This is this time where we come together to deliver God praise. Uh, if you didn't listen to Herrick's message last week, I think he did a phenomenal job breaking down what gospel communities are, what they aren't, why we do them, all that stuff. Next week, so not today, next week I'm going to touch base on Sunday morning worship gatherings, why we do them, what they're for. Some of you have uh, probably been in and around the church for a long time, and you might be a little shocked at some of the things that we talk about next week. That'll be next week, okay? Today is going to be a little bit different than normal. Uh, Today is going to be kind of like part sermon and part training. Uh, I even did a keynote, which is like a PowerPoint thing. I never do this. <laughs> okay. I'm not, you'll, you'll see how gifted my keynote skills are in just a moment, but today's going to be part sermon, kind of part training, different than what we usually do. And the reason for that is because a week from tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday, a week from tomorrow, that's Monday, April 26th, we're going to kick off our New Testament 90 days campaign. This is something that we're doing together as a church family where we're going to be journeying through the New Testament as individuals and as a community, right, in 90 days, reading through the entire thing as a church because we desire, we want to devote ourselves as disciples, right? We desire to be disciples who fill our hearts and our minds and our mouths even with God's word. This is the God who uses his words to create stuff. His words are profound. They are truth. They are eternal life, the scriptures say. So this morning, we're going to get really practical, okay? We're going to talk about, like, this whole New Testament 90 days thing, what it is, this campaign, what it is, how it's going to work, and why we're even doing it. You with me? Cool. Great. You guys look tired this morning. Talk to me. There we go. Great. Awesome. Okay, so grab your Bible. Luke chapter 10 is going to be our primary passage. Give me some energy because I'm kind of tired and I need to feed off of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dakota's with me, Mark was with me, and somebody else over here. Yeah, Lisa. Thank you, guys. Thanks to the three of you. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 10, while you're flipping there, I want to pray for our time. So will you join me? Oh, Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Just what a privilege it is to be a part of this church family. Um, with you at the center, Jesus, like we are a collection of people like who get to even know you. It's bananas. It's crazy. We get to know the God of the universe. We get to be in relationship with you and experience you and do it together. And I just want to ask for your blessing right now, Father. Would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you encourage us? Would you make your grace come a little bit more alive in our hearts than it is maybe in this moment? so we can experience freedom and really enjoy your word. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, this is going to be our primary kind of passage this morning. Familiar story. 
uh, but it's a good one. We're going to start in uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 38, and I'll go through verse 42. While they were traveling, he, the he there is Jesus, entered a village. So get the picture, they're traveling. If you've ever, anybody watched The Chosen? Dude, is that like the best thing ever? I cry every, like at least once every episode. Watch The Chosen, separate sermon. Watch The Chosen, it's amazing. Get the picture. You can even use the, cho- the chosen kind of visuals if you want to. While they're traveling, Jesus and his disciples, he, Jesus, entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She, Martha, had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Get the picture here. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Underline that, distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. So you get the picture. Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Martha's doing all this stuff. She's distracted by her many tasks. And she's like, Lord, don't you care? I'm the only one working here. Tell Mary to give me a hand. Verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Underline that, worried and upset about many things. And then Jesus says this in verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. All right. This is like, such an amazing passage of scripture. I wish I had way more time to kind of break this down, but I want you to see something here, okay? Two sisters, right? What are their names? Mary and Martha, very good. And they're operating very differently, aren't they? Did you catch it? Mary, it says in verse 39, Mary is seating, sitting at Jesus' feet and she is, <clears throat> excuse me, listening to what he's saying. Now, Martha, on the other hand, verse 40, it says, we we underline it, she's distracted by her many tasks. So in other words, she's busy. She is busy. This week, I I decided, I was like, you know, I'm going to go on a prayer walk right now. And so I I left my house, I I step out the door, and I'm just like, I do this regularly. I I like to kind of walk when I pray and kind of process and and I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for our gospel communities as a, as a whole. I'll pray for our church. I'll pray for our kids. I'll pray for my family. I'll, I'll ask God for wisdom and insight and direction in my life, right? And so <clears throat> I, I step out of my house. And as I like close the door behind me, I hear a noise. And it's coming from my pocket. It's my phone and it's going crazy. And so I grab my phone. <clears throat> if you're ever going to go on a prayer walk, I'm going to make a recommendation. Don't ever take your phone. So I didn't think about it. My phone's going off. I grab my phone and I just kind of start walking. And I just, I see I have a bunch of messages. Like I had a lot of messages I hadn't replied to. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to knock these out really quick and then I'll start my prayer walk. And so I'm, you know, texting and all the things are happening, you know. And the whole time I'm looking at my phone and I'm just kind of walking and, you know, I'm doing my thing. And by the time I wrapped up my mess, like all the, getting back to my messages, I was like a half a mile away from my house. So I had like, I had gone on this prayer walk and I neither, I neither really engaged in prayer or the walk really. I'm just kind of like on autopilot. 
and I'm looking at my phone and I totally missed my surroundings. Like I was on autopilot. Are you guys tracking with me? You ever done anything like this before? I was so busy with the messages on my phone that I didn't even experience the walk I was on. I didn't even engage in prayer. Hear me. When you're busy, when you're busy, when you're distracted by your many tasks, when you are busy, you miss what's happening around you. Your focus is elsewhere, right? I think about this with my girls, my daughters, and I find myself, like they're growing up so fast, it's terrifying. Like they're getting taller and older, more beautiful in every way. And I find myself going like, especially in busier seasons, you know, like I feel like I'm missing their childhood. And it like, it taps into like this emotional side of me where I'm just like, oh God, stop growing, please. Like I'm missing it. And I don't want to miss their child. I don't want to soak it up. I want to enjoy them in all of their glory, like as their dad. It's happening right in front of me, but I miss it when my focus is elsewhere, when I'm so busy. You tracking with me? Busyness can be dangerous, friends. Not just unfortunate. It can actually be really, really dangerous. Now, if you're an American, which I'm assuming everybody in the room probably is, you know that busyness is actually kind of like celebrated in our culture. Dude, if you don't grind, you don't get the gig, you don't bring home home the paycheck, you're not near as successful. Busyness is like celebrated in our culture, friends. I find myself, or I have found myself in the past, people, so how how are things going? How busy. You ever do that? It's funny too, like <clears throat> I'm starting to sense this pattern, not with everybody, but I'm starting to sense this pattern where it's like busyness has almost become this form of like subliminal importance where it's like, I'm busy because you know, I, I have a lot going on, which means I'm kind of important. I'm kind of a big deal. You know, people rely on me and there's you know, a lot going on and I, li- I live a life that matters and like we wouldn't necessarily say that out loud, but like maybe even in our subconscious, we're like, oh, there's something going on here. Did you know, busyness, it's actually not a fruit of the spirit. In Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Christians just like us, and he tells them what the outcome, the fruit, the result of being connected in a very meaningful, intimate way with God is. The fruit of it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All these amazing things that all of us love when we experience that from other people. And you know it's not on the list. Busyness didn't make it. It's not a fruit of the spirit. That means it's a fruit of something else. It's the outcome of something else. Hear me. And I stand before God as someone who's more guilty than anybody else in this room when it comes to busyness. Busyness is not godly. Show me one time in scripture where Jesus was busy. Where he was like rushing. Never. Not one time. You won't find it. I read this uh, quote I want to share with you from a Bible commentator. He says this. Listen to this, okay? 
to fall into the trap of perpetual busyness is to confuse the God of the Bible with the God of this world. We as the children of God have no place being busy. In other words, what this commentator is saying is perpetual busyness is a sign that the God you're worshiping is not Jesus. Right? Heavy. The Bible refers to that as idolatry. We all know what idolatry is, right? It's when we give our devotion, our attention, our worship, not to God, but to another. And you see this pattern in the scriptures when it talks about this idea of idolatry, where it, like, it, it, it likens it to, to, to spiritual adultery. Where it's, it's you're giving something that's precious to, to, to a source it doesn't belong to. It was not reserved for. You guys with me? I know this is heavy stuff and we're all, this is, I'm just as guilty as anybody in the room. The Bible's super clear. Idolatry will destroy your life. Okay, so our culture, we're li- we, are, we are enthralled in a culture that celebrates busyness, but it's actually incredibly dangerous. Look what it does to Martha. Look back at verse 40. It says this, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks, right? So she's busy and she came up and asked, she's talking to God in the flesh here, okay? She's talking to the creator of the universe and this is what she says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. I've talked to my wife in ways like that that I told her again, I can't imagine like, God in the flesh speaking that way. So Martha, in her busyness, right, it caused her to grow bitter. With who? With God and with other people. And guys, think about this, just with me logically. Guess where bitterness ultimately leads? It ultimately leads to separation, division, a lack of unity between us and God and us and each other. That's why it's so dangerous. And here's the thing too. Martha, just like all of us, she's created in God's image, right? All of humanity is. That's why we as Christians say every human being on earth, regardless of race or background or even creed or any, any variable you can think of, every human being has eternal value because why? They were made in the image of God. And one of the aspects of being made in the image of God is God, who he is. One God made of three persons, right? The doctrine of the Trinity, mysterious but beautiful and glorious. One God made of three persons. God in and of himself is a community. We were made in his image. We were designed and created to be in community with him and with each other. And idolatry, which busyness is a form of it, it, it gets in the way of, of how we were created to operate as human beings. You guys with me in this? I'm trying to put a case to you of like the danger of one of idolatry, but specifically of busyness. Martha's busyness is jeopardizing both her, her community with God and her community with others. So I want you to see how dangerous this can be. Busyness at its core is idolatry. And hear me say this. It can hijack and ruin your life. I've experienced it in my own life. It's painful. 
it gets you off course. As much as you think, I'm on course, I'm grinding, I'm doing everything, I need, like, oh, I'm doing so much stuff. The course that you might be on is the course that you've charted for yourself, not the one that your creator has created you for. So, not to make you feel guilty, but to get a pulse. We've got to be able to take our own temperature here so we can gauge our own health so that we can, we can apply the truths of scripture and the gospel to our lives. How are you doing? Are you busy? Are you like Martha where you find yourself distracted by your many tasks? I want to just mention one more thing here when it comes to busyness. Busyness is not the result of doing too much. Hear me say that. Busyness is not the result of doing too much, okay? Hear me. You were created to work hard, okay? Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, before sin enters the equation, God, God entrusts man and tells him to work, and it was good, God created us to be creative and to work and put our hands to things. We were created to work and work really, really hard. That's a great, amazing thing, okay? We were created to work hard. Work existed before sin entered the earth when everything was good. So listen, busyness is not the result of doing too many things. It's the result of prioritizing the wrong things. And that's what this story in Luke chapter 10 is all about. It's about priorities. This passage, it says that Martha's busyness is distracting her from what? According to Jesus, it's the quote, one thing that is necessary. One thing that is necessary. So in other words, it's the thing that matters most. The most important thing, to sit at his feet and take in his words. And just consider Jesus for a moment, friends. We, we sang it, the one that we adore. Your creator, he knows everything about you. He knows all the worst things about you. And yet is still completely devoted to you. Passionately devoted to you. Not just as like a concept, but like if he were to physically manifest here right now, you'd see the holes in his hands and in his feet that just scream his love for you. Almighty God in the flesh, all things have been created by him, through him, and for him. Like he's before all things and by him all things hold together. That's Colossians chapter one. Gracious, kind, loving, fun, hilarious. Read the Bible and tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. There's no one like him. There's never been anybody like him. And he set his affection on you and on me. The most important person ever. No one even comes close. Like not even in the same ballpark as him. No one more glorious. Friends, this is a story about prioritizing one thing over everything else, sitting at the feet of Jesus and taking in his word. And listen, that doesn't mean that we live irresponsibly. Okay, this isn't like we ditch every responsibility in our life to just sit at his feet, right? No, like it's, you gotta feed your kids dinner. <laughs> Mommy, I'm hungry. Nope, not right now. Like I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. You're not gonna eat for a week. 
Your landlord's like, hey, I need that rent check. You're like, oh, sorry, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know? That's not what's happening here. Like, it's not an abandonment of responsibilities. God created you to work hard. He gave you talents and gifts and strengths to operate to bless the world around you in meaningful ways, in important ways. So it doesn't mean you live irresponsibly, but it does mean you put things in proper order. Priorities. And here's the thing, friends. This is the thing that gets me. It's kind of not terrifying, but it's important. Here's the thing that gets me. Martha, she's in close proximity to Jesus. Is she not? She's in close proximity to Jesus, but her priority was not listening to him. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between listening and hearing. And those of you that are parents, you know, like you, your kids can hear you without actually taking in what you're saying. Listening is when you, when you open yourself up to be influenced by what you hear, not just that you audibly hear it. And, and guys, hear me, okay? Pastorally, this weighs heavy on me. It weighs heavy on me, and here's why. Because I know, even just statistically, I know that there are some of you who are sitting here right now, you're living the same way that Martha is. You are in close proximity to Jesus. You are involved in Christian things, okay? But sitting at his feet, opening yourself up, taking in his words, it's not something that's made its way onto your calendar. It's not exactly a priority. With that said, I've set the table this is exactly why we're doing this New Testament in 90 days campaign. Okay? We're hitting the reset button as a church. Who are we going to be? What are our priorities in our life going to look like? What are we going to devote ourselves to? All of us will devote our lives, every moment of our life to something and or someone. What are you, what am I, what are we going to give ourselves to? The whole point of, of taking some time to go, we're hitting the reset button as a church, is so that we can be people who devote ourselves to Jesus and his ways. Reprioritizing our discipleship strategies, okay? So listen, if we're gonna be healthy disciples, anybody in the room not wanna be a healthy disciple? I'm covering my armpits because I'm sure they're sweaty. <laughs> who was I talking to earlier? It's like, dude, you're sweating. Jay, I don't have a clean undershirt, so it's gonna sweat, Sorry. You have to deal with it when I like raise my hands and you see the pit stains. Uh, <clears throat> but seriously, do, does anybody genuinely not care? Like, I don't really care to be a healthy disciple of Jesus. If you're here, if, that, if that's here in your, and you can honestly be like, yeah, I'm just kind of here checking things out. So, gl- so glad that you're here. You're always welcome. There's a seat at the table for you always. But like, c- can we all agree? Like, this is something that's important. Jesus is like the center of all existence. Like, we want to be healthy disciples. If we're going to be healthy disciples, being with God and taking in his word, it must become a priority. Not like once a week or twice a week, but like every day of your life, even if it means one verse. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, but you got to sit at his feet and know him. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be intimately related to God. Close, like a child to their parent. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to get super practical. 
All right, super practical. How is this campaign going to work? The New Testament together in 90 days. Um, Most scientists, they agree that it takes somewhere between 30 and 40 days to develop a new habit, okay? We had over a year of the world being crazy, and so many new habits got developed. Did any, have any of you guys like, identified some unhealthy habits that you developed during, during the last year? Have you, developed, have, you, have you identified maybe some ones that were like negatively impactful to your discipleship of Jesus or negatively impactful to your relationship to the people around you or your health spiritually, physically, mentally? Anybody? Or am I just the only one? No, all of us. It was crazy, okay? That's why we're hitting the reset button, why we're giving ourselves to this, to develop new habits, okay? Because our desire is that we would be people who develop a habit of sitting at Jesus' feet every single day and taking in his word. So we put together a reading plan for us. And listen, I put it in order that I think is helpful. Like it's going to kind of be mixed up a little bit. It's not just going to be, you know, start in Matthew and go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go through all four gospels and then go all the way through to Revelation. We will end with Revelation, yes, but I kind of put it together so that the gospels would be spread out over the course of the entire New Testament. We're not going to start with Matthew. We're actually going to start with Mark, some things like that that I think will be really, really helpful for some of you that haven't spent a ton of time in the Bible to be an on-ramp to really experiencing God as you do it. Okay? So put this together. What we're going to do is we're going to read a passage of the New Testament every day minus Sundays. So Monday through Saturday, Sundays will be here. Technically, it's 84 reading days, not 90, but 90 sounds way cooler. So that's what we're doing. Now, each session, it's going to be about 15 minutes of reading. It'll be different on different days, about 15 minutes of reading. For some of you, that sounds like awful. You're like, I haven't read for 15 minutes straight since I was like in seventh grade. Um, Hear me. One of the most sobering things in the world is if you have your phone, you check out your, um, your screen time thing. It'll tell you how much time you spend doing various things on your smartphone. I don't want to put anybody on blast because I think it's all of us. We spend so much time, fill, like killing time with just garbage. Things that aren't helpful, that just like the mind check, the escape. All you have to do is replace 15 to 30 minutes of that with sitting at the feet of the lover of your soul who thinks you are incredible, you're not. We, know, we both know none of us are, but like this love, this intense, amazing, eternal love, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you to engage with that in place of scrolling, okay? 15 minutes of reading, about 15 minutes of prayer. So if you set aside 30 minutes, you'll probably be fine. I think many of you will go far longer than 30 minutes because you're going to find this to be so enjoyable because you were kind of created for it. Uh, So in conjunction with this campaign, I put together a really simple approach to daily Bible reading. Uh, Now, historically, our church has done what's called CBR, community Bible reading. Many of you guys know what CBR is. CBR is an amazing tool to facilitate what we're trying to facilitate. I love it. I think it's great, but I want to incorporate a new approach. That doesn't mean you can't do CBR. You could do CBR instead of this if you want to, but I want to introduce a new approach that I think is honestly simpler and it has more room for personalization. All right. Essentially, it's like an easier on-ramp to daily devotions. You with me? No one? Great. Awesome. Okay. Where am I? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want to do. Can you guys start my, please don't make fun of my 
my PowerPoint abilities, guys, okay? Let's be kind. Okay, we're calling this Eat and Speak, all right? Eat and Speak. Say that with me, Eat and Speak. That's just to get it in your brain, not to be creepy. Um, Okay, so here's the thing. I stole this from the Bible. I stole this from the Bible. It comes directly from Ezekiel chapter three. You can go to the next slide. I think it should be there. Ezekiel chapter three, yes. Verses one through three, check this out. He, God, said to me, this is Ezekiel, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll out of the Bible. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with this scroll I am giving you. So I ate it and it was as sweet as honey on my mouth. So this is a prophetic picture of feasting on scripture, okay? Of taking in God's word. That's our goal, to to sit at Jesus' feet every day and to take in his word. Okay, I wanna break this down. Uh, You can go to the next slide. EAT, it's an acronym, okay? It's obviously the picture that we see here in Ezekiel 3, but it's also an acronym. E is for examine, A is for abide, and T is for taste. That's what you're gonna do when you read the Bible. Okay, let's break this down. Go ahead to the next one. Should be E. Yep, examine. Okay, this is going, you guys are doing great back there. Awesome. <clears throat> okay, you can go to the next one. All right, so again, this comes straight from Ezekiel, right? He said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. It's this idea of examining what the scriptures say. All right, you can go to the next one. So how does this work? This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna examine the passage, You're going to examine God. You're going to examine yourself, your heart, what's going on, what stands out. If you read the Bible slow enough, most people just fly through it like you're reading a graphic novel or something. If you read slow enough, words will jump out off the page at you. God will bring something to mind that he wants you to know about him, about you, about something that's highlighted in the passage. That's what you're doing. You're examining. You guys with me in this? Okay, you're asking yourself questions. Asking questions is a really, really great way to find, like it talks about, to examine. Okay, you can go to the next one. This is not just my opinion, right? This is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is what? useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, I love this, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You want to walk in the fullness of who God created you to be? Man, the word's going to be huge for this. Okay, you can go to the next one. We're just going to review it quick. You're examining the passage. You're examining God. You're examining yourself. What stands out? Find something that jumps off the page. Throw it into the furnace that is your your heart that burns. And it'll it'll be beautiful, okay? You can go to the next one. Abide, okay? Abide. You can go to the next slide. Again, coming from Ezekiel. So I opened my mouth, and who fed me the scroll? He. He. He fed me the scroll. Okay, God is the source here. He is the source. You can go to the next one. Let's talk about abide. This is this idea of being with him, connecting with him, receiving from him, engaging with him, prayer. 
intimacy, abiding. Like, uh, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. I think it's going to be the passage. This comes from John chapter 15. Jesus says, abide in me. It's this idea of making your home in him. Abide in me and I in you. Remain with me. Stay with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. You can see the picture here. It's like we're in Temecula, wine country, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Next slide. Again, abide, be with him, engage with him, connect with him as you're reading his word. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing, okay? Pray. You can go to the next one. Taste. Taste. Okay, next slide. Again, coming from Ezekiel here. So I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Let's talk about taste. You can go to the next one, guys. This is what we're going to do. Tasting is all about, like, tasting the glory, the goodness, and the grace of God. It's about letting yourself and giving yourself over to actually experiencing him. There's a difference between you reading in the, in the scriptures, God loves me. I have this information. And then actually tasting it. Oh, actually, I feel his love. If what he says is true, it migrates from your head to your heart. And it's sweet as honey on your lips, man. That's what we're doing in this, in, in, in this kind of phase, okay? It's all about letting yourself experience God. So, so you examine Right? You abide and then you give yourself over to experiencing him, to tasting. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. It's an invitation from God. Come and taste. Come and see. Come experience this. It's not concept. It's sensory. It's beautiful. Okay? Let's review taste really quick. God's glory, God's goodness, God's grace and experiencing him. Okay, next slide. And then speak. Eat, examine, abide, taste. All the time. You're just kind of bouncing around through those things as you're reading slowly. And then speak. You guys can go to the next one. Again, from Ezekiel. Eat this scroll, then go and speak. All right, let's talk about speak. Go ahead and go to the next one, guys. This is simple. You just share, you just share your experience with other people. Not like, hey, I'm so brilliant. Look at how, how much I know. No, no, no. Your experience with him. It's not about just Bible knowledge. It's about your experience with him. And you can do that with anyone. GCs, I know, already start like their signal threads where they're contributing in those ways. It's awesome. The priorities here are really endless. You can go to the next slide. There's a passage here for us about how important it is to share. So faith comes from what is heard, And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Faith comes through hearing. So if we just have these experiences and don't share them, what's at stake potentially is other people growing in their faith and their experience of him. You with me in this? There's power in just you going, dude, I had this really beautiful time this morning with God where I feel like he, I feel like he showed me that like the bitterness that I'm harboring towards my neighbor is actually hurting me and I want to let that go and experience freedom oh, maybe I have bitterness towards my cousin and I, 
And then the kingdom of God advances in the lives of his people. How? Not through a sermon outline, through your experience with him through his word. The goal of speaking isn't to go through the motions or to show what you know. It's to share your experience of God through his word so that faith might arise in the here. So eat and speak, okay? We're putting together journals for you. So if those of you that like to journal, we're putting those together. It has the entire New Testament and 90 days reading plan in it. And it has this kind of same one page breakdown of how to eat and speak in case you forget, okay? Couple recommendations for you. I'm almost done here, guys. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. Block the time out in your calendar. Like, make this a priority. Same place, same time every day. Create a habit, okay? For some of you, uh, you'll be like me. Like, for me, I, I wake up in the morning, I pull a shot of espresso, I grab my Bible, I go in my little office, little area there, I close the door, and I sit at the feet of Jesus, Some of you, the morning time's the best time for you. Great, do that. Others, it's gonna be maybe like, I don't know, lunchtime, your lunch break. Great, some of you, evening time, awesome. After the kids go to sleep, you get them down, fantastic. Personalize this. Whatever's best and most convenient for you and then lock that in on your schedule, on your calendar and block out the time and then do it every single day, okay? Some of you guys, the best thing for you is gonna be during your commute. You're commuting to work, throw on an audio Bible and examine and abide and taste and then speak. You with me? Pick your time, block it in there, okay? Do whatever you need to do. Treat it like it's an important meeting with an important person because it is, because it is. Another thing, minimize distractions. (laughs) Uh, We talked about cell phones and how distracting they can be. I highly recommend you get as far away from your cell phone during this time as possible. Um, Because listen, the moment you do this, for those of you that are actually going to get engaged with us as a church and do this, I guarantee you, the moment you start doing this, expect distractions to just fly at you. They're going to come, okay? Be ready for that. Parents, those of you parents, work together with this one, okay? Like one of you, one spouse, take the kids to free up the other spouse and then vice versa. Make this a priority, all right? Um, A handful of you have asked previously about Bible translations. Um, Pick your favorite one. Pick your favorite Bible translation. If you want to know what mine are, I have two. They're my two favorites. Uh, I I study typically out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, It's it's good to read. It's not like hard to read, Um, but that's what I study out of primarily. The one that I read the most just for pleasure because it's easy to read is the New Living Translation. So if you you have... um, less experience of, of, of diving into the Bible for a, a longer period of time, I highly recommend the New Living Translation, the NLT. It's fantastic. Super uh, reliable, both of them, okay? Again, start date, April 26th, so a, a week from tomorrow. It'll give us time to get the journals for you, get people onboarded onto this, make sure they know what's going on so that we can launch this campaign together as a church family on Monday, April 26th, okay? So, eat and speak, Read your passage for the day, examine, abide, taste, eat, and then speak, share your experience of God through his word. Now listen, can I dare you to do this? Can I, can I challenge you to give yourself to this and see if your relationship with God doesn't just come alive? 
See if, you, see if this isn't become the best part of your day. I bet you it is. I bet you it is. All right, I'll close with this. I'll call the band on up. We're almost done, guys. You with me still? Great. Okay, two sisters. Who were they? Mary and Martha, absolutely. Martha's too busy. She's too busy, and she missed out on the most important thing, Jesus says. Being with him and taking in his words. Her sister Mary was different. Mary was different. Um, One of the things that I absolutely love about Mary is she shows up in scripture three times. All in the New Testament, of course. She shows up in scripture three times. And you know what? In all three times, you know where she is? She's at the feet of Jesus. Her life is marked forever. Mary, yeah, that's the one who's always at the feet of Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 11, at the feet of Jesus. Over in John chapter 11, her brother Lazarus dies and she is hurting. Where is she? It says she's at the feet of Jesus. Next chapter, John chapter 12, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. Mary's on the floor anointing Jesus' feet with perfume pouring out her devotion onto her Lord and Savior. I think we sang a song about it earlier. Three times in the past, in, in scripture, all of them at the feet of Jesus. Friends, listen to me. When a person sees Jesus clearly for who he truly is, for who he, he really, really is as the gracious Savior Grace means you don't deserve it. I'm a mess. You're a mess. We reject God and his ways all the time, every day, by choosing ourselves over him and other people, thinking we know better. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's gracious. And he's the savior who saves us with his very own body and blood. When we see him clearly as the gracious savior, as the, as the one whose love for you like never runs out. It never goes away. There's nothing that you could do to get him to love you more and there's nothing you could do to get him to love you less. It's called security eternally for the one who trusts that that love is for them from him. His love never runs out. When you see him clearly as the one who has the words of eternal life, When you see him clearly, friends, being with him, sitting at his feet, taking in his words, it becomes the single most important thing in your life. It's not duty, it's delight because he's the one who delights in you. Like it's as important as eating or breathing if you see him clearly. 
So please hear me. We're not doing this campaign to be like religious Christian people in the Temecula Valley. We read the Bible together in 90 days. <laughs> like, for real, that's not why we're doing this. We're not doing this to just read the Bible every day. It's about sitting at his feet and taking in his words. Listen, it's a means to an end. The Bible is a means to an end, and the end is him. The whole point isn't that you fill your head with more knowledge. The whole point is that you fill your heart with the love of Christ for you. The Bible's a means to an end, and the end is him. So listen, what if? We are resetting as a church, man. We have no idea what the next year is going to look like. In your life as an individual, in our lives as a community, in your gospel community if you're in one. What if? What if, like Mary, your life and my life was marked by being at the feet of Jesus? And not just you, like all of us. I wonder what would happen. I think it would be greater than you can even imagine. That's what I'm after. I don't know if you noticed it, but when Jesus tells Mary, he says, let me read it here again. I love this. Lord, answer her what he tells Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried, upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. We have a choice. Mary made the right one and Jesus says it will not be taken away from her. Do you know what that means? It will not be taken away from her. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, it has eternal implications. I don't know about you. I'm done with the temporary garbage. Things that won't last. Look around. Most of the things that you see will burn. They will not last forever. But do you know what will? Every moment you engaged with your Savior at his feet and received his words. His words are eternal. I don't know about you. I'm after eternal things, man. I got one life. One. I want eternity. I want God's kingdom as much as possible here and now in my life. Because if it comes in my life, you know what's going to happen? It's going to come through my life. What if we were a church? What if we were a church who were marked by being at the feet of Jesus, taking in his word? I think it would have eternal implications. Let's pray. I just want to listen to the Spirit for a minute, and then I'll pray. I feel like the Spirit is inviting some of you to test him, which is not a common thing for God. He only invites people to test him on like a handful of things. One of which is he invites you to test him with generosity and the way that we steward resources. And I feel like right now the Spirit's highlighting that he wants to test some of you with how you use your time. 
Like see if he will not pour open the gates of heaven to bless you as you sit at his feet and take in his word. I feel like it's a healthy fatherly challenge. So Father, would you, would you help us with this? Would you help us to see the way that we structure our lives in good ways, in beneficial ways, and in ways that aren't beneficial? Would you make us a people whose priority it is to be with you and to take in your words so that we can live the life that you've created us to live, so that we can be free. Our freedom can transcend our circumstances. The security that we have in you can transcend how insecure things are right now everywhere around us. Our prayer is that you would fill our heart with the love that you have for us in Christ. And we'd be people so filled with joy, so filled with gratitude and thankfulness that we just keep coming back to your feet, coming back to the well that never runs dry for us. Thank you, Jesus. Make us into devoted disciples, please. Devoted to you and your ways and each other. Amen. That was such a fitting way to close. You are greater than it all. Just as an aside, I think uh, as we're thinking through reading the Bible and making time in our calendar, uh, for the parents in the room, I was eating and speak. I was eating in my chair, the word, getting ready to, to do this. And I opened my eyes and my daughter was staring right at me with a tissue up her nose. It was just a reminder, like, get ready. It's going to happen a lot. As you try to read the Bible in your home, in your time. But it was beautiful. So I got to look at her and it was just a reminder of like, we're his kids. And we can come however we are tissue up our nose, boogers out. I think it's just allergies, just to be clear. They've been bad this year, but we can come to him as kids. He'll never reject us. But that wasn't the point of actually what I wanted to share with you. Uh, From the get, from the, the second Tom was up here opening up the message, I've just been thinking about one word, faith. And I've been thinking about the letter to the Romans. If you're familiar with that, faith is the central theme. A letter of the Romans. And there's a central character in the Hebrew and Christian traditions. Who can tell me who the father of faith is? Abraham. Abraham's a father of faith. Does anybody actually know Abraham's story? What's he actually like? Train wreck. Absolute and utter shambles of a life. He's a train wreck. Uh, he actually, I can't get into it. Tom's already preached. I can't get, I can't do it want to, I'm not going to do it. He makes an utter mess of his life. He gets this incredible promise from God. What's the promise? A child. For what purpose? Just because he wants kids? To give, it's a new nation that's going to come and be born. And this nation is going to bless the entire world. God is going to restore the blessing of Eden. His presence, his power, his gifts him with his people is going to come through Abraham. And what does Abraham do after he gets those promises? He takes a woman who's not his wife. They can't get pregnant. They can't conceive right away. So he takes a woman who's not his wife and they basically coerce her into producing a child. 
There are lots of words you can use for what that is. I'm not going to get into it right now. It's bad news. He lies about who his real wife is so that to cover his own skin. If you remember that with his wife, Sarah, he, he's, he's lying. He's scheming. And what's he called now? The father of faith. Let me read you some words. Don't worry about that pen. This is out of Romans. He, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's not written that it was credited to him for him alone, but for us. It will be credited to us who also believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And we just read about how, G- how Jesus, you were greater. Abraham was convinced of God's promises in a way that actually led him to a whole new way of life. No more lying, no more scheming, no more anxiously trying to secure things that God has promised to him by his own wisdom. He's no longer going to repeat the sin of Adam and Eve. And instead, what you have is an obedient faith. That's called the, he's called the father of faith. And you know the story. If you know it, he sacrificed his own son, or he was willing to. He did everything else to get the son. He cheated. The only thing he didn't do was murder. And then all of a sudden, God says, give me your son back. And he was willing. He gave up all the scheming, all the lying. He was a new person. Why? What did we just sing? You are? He became convinced that you are greater than even the son that I gave up everything for. You guys get tracking with me? We need to become people who are fully convinced that what God has promised, he's also able to do. Faith, this is really dangerous in this area because there's so many churches and we're so churched. Faith is not intellectual assent to a body of doctrine. It's lived out trust. Lived out trust. You can have all the body of doctrine here and, and it, can, it can profit you nothing if we're not actually living out this life of faith. As we give ourselves to the New Testament in 90 days, I believe God is calling us to become a people of faith. Not an intellectual faith, but an actual faith that comes from being convinced that what God has promised to us, he is fully able to deliver and then a new way of life that he's calling us into. I'm gonna pray for us. That's what I long for for our church and whoever wants that, man, it's for you. It's for you. Father, thank you that you are greater. You are greater. Jesus, you are greater than it all, than the thing that we've wanted the most, whether that's a relationship, money, whatever, career, accolade, success, like it was for Abraham. He found out you are greater and you're worth giving it all up, worth giving up all of the busyness and all of the productivity just to sit at your feet. Not to say that we're not going to be productive, but that we're redefining productivity as being at your feet and having a life that flows out of a relationship with you. And it looks like love and obedience. No more scheming, no more lying, no more figuring stuff out on our own and using our own wisdom, but trusting you fully. That's what we want, Father. Would you do that in us? We love you, Father, and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, we love you. Enjoy your week. Be ready in one week to kick off this New Testament in 90 days, and we'll have more information for you. Love you.